don't worry. You don't need to feel sheepish. I did it too, and it's perfectly understandable. I only realised upon starting my research for this interview special that this athlete's name isn't Neve Emerson PB, but just Neve Emerson. It's logical this young woman announced herself on the international stage with a bronze at her first major senior championships on the Gold Coast last year and has only improved since. Emerson's Gold Coast gong was followed by a world junior title in Finland, clinched with a do-or-die 800 metres in a biblical apocalyptic rainstorm, and then pentathlon silver in Glasgow at this year's European indoors. Neve's score of 4,731, the highest ever recorded by a teenager, and consisting of five individual personal bests. Mary Rand, Mary Peters, Judy Simpson, Denise Lewis, Kelly Southerton, Jess Ennis-Hill, Katerina Johnson-Thompson, and now Neve Emerson. It seems Britain's heptathlon lineage is in rude health. Like man of the moment, Kawhi Leonard, Emerson knows how to produce her best under enormous pressure and seems to thrive in the psychological maelstrom of multi-eventing. To everyone's immense disappointment, she sustained a season-ending injury in Gotsis, but thankfully it slowed this dynamo of an athlete down enough that I nabbed a few hours with her, the chance to gain an insight into this prodigious talent. We're always hearing how athletes in other sports could have gone into lots of other sports. Rafael Nadal was a brilliant golfer. Roger Federer was a footballer. It just seems to be such a common thing to hear. But I read an interview with you, Neve, that said that because you had so much energy and such a short attention span when you were little, athletics as something really tiring was kind of the only solution. Is that the case? Yeah, literally. I think it's the fact that it's really hard work, but also it's not that complicated. I mean, field events complicated and obviously track events complicated, but at a young age for somebody who literally just, just go running, like that's not complicated. There's no rules, there's no tactics, just run. So I think that kind of appealed to me as well because it was really, it's just accessible for everyone as well because I literally just went round the golf course really with my mum and then kind of just started obviously going to a club. Because your mum was a sprinter, wasn't she? She went to English schools and I've read that she was a pretty good 400 mm-hmm. runner. Literally, I was talking to her the other day and I said like, what what events did you do? And I only just found out that she did like hurdles and other things and I was like, that's really cool. But she kind of like started when she was young, probably like my age, around like, I think she was probably about 13 or 14. And then after, and then she, but she kind of um, stopped when she was like sev- 16 or 17. Mm. Um, and then she kind of got into nursing and she couldn't really do them both. But no, she, she did, her 400 was her event. Which is something that's quite similar to what you started doing. I read that you started in cross country, yeah. but it wasn't long until you were a kind of long distance hurdler, right? Well, so I started in cross country um, and 800. So I kind of just did the cross country kind of just for, because like, that's kind of just what the 800 meter runners do. And just, mm-hmm. you know, they all um, kind of cover all events. So, and then from that, I can, I did, um, I always, I played around with things like 300 hurdles and 400 hurdles, but it was kind of like my event was still 800. But um, so, yeah, but I think it's mainly because 400 wasn't available to me when I was like under 15 and things like that. And the 300, I would, I just didn't have the speed at all. So I kind of was just like, oh, I'll just stick with the 800. And then I did 300 hurdles and, and I, did, um, I didn't do bad. And then when it got up to 400 hurdles, I think it was for the under 18 spec. And then it was a lot better. The event was, I was a lot better at that event. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for, like got the standard for 
um, the Commonwealth Youths and oh, I didn't I didn't get the standard for um, World Youths. Um, I got that one for heptathlon instead. You come from an eight hundred background. That's quite unusual for a heptathlete because it's as multi events yeah. go. They're all very much about explosivity and power and speed. You come from yeah, something much yeah. more endurance based, but obviously doing pretty well in the heptathlon. Do you think that's that it's worked perfectly for you, or do you wish that maybe you'd done a bit more speedy stuff when you were younger? I think the traditional way to go because it is such because heptathlon is speed and power. The tra- traditional way to go from like a speed or power event into heptathlon is the better way because I think it for me to improve, I do need to improve my speed, and I think that is something I do lack a little bit. But I also think coming from an 800 metre background has advantages because a lot of heptathletes are kind of like scared of the 800 and it's really mentally hard. And I think as they get older, you see the 800 times getting better just because they kind of like get a bit more confidence in the event. Whereas I think if you come from an 800 metre kind of like um, endurance background, it's drilled into you from a young age that if you don't train hard, if you don't put 100% in in the race like you're not going to get the results whereas I think uh, for especially in the younger age groups when you're like under 18 and under 20 and stuff like that I think um, a a few heptathletes kind of struggle with the mental side of the 800. Definitely see that yeah and people approaching it very tentatively because Mm -hmm. there's that fear of just not finishing I suppose because it seems like such a long way when you're more of a hurdler sprinter jumper Talk me through a standard weekend match then. When you were growing up, when you were a young teenager, before you started competing at a really high level, I bet you did millions of events when you'd go to a Saturday club athletics meet. So this is, so this is honestly, it's really bizarre because from 9 to 13, I would literally just do 800, like my event was 800, I was like an 800 meter runner and that's how I saw myself. So I would do the 800 and then as I got a little bit older, I would start to do things like high, like I always did all the events, but because I was an 800 meter runner, like I would, if there was heats for the 800 in the morning, then high jump in the afternoon, I would always prioritize the 800. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of like... Like I'd do my 800 then in the evening or in the afternoon go do the high jump but it was it was bizarre because I kind of like didn't start training for the events until I was like 13 or 14 so from like 9 to about 14 it was kind of like I, I did the events but I kind of just rocked up and did them so I actually ended up not doing that many events at a league match that really surprises me because yeah. you're clearly someone who can turn your hand to pretty much anything within athletics it, I would have expected you to have been that poor sod who would, you know, do yeah. the 800 because that was your event and then your coach would tap you up for everything else that needed covering. No, it's weird because that. I think the thing was I wasn't actually good at the events. So there was people in the club that was a lot better. So And I would never, like, kind of just go to, a, like, a mini league we had in our county. I would never go there and do, like, shot. Mm. Um, until I got like past 14 when I got past 14 and like changed to being a heptathlete or a pentathlete at that time I would then start to do like um, it was strategic I would do shot in league matches and stuff to try and practice but yeah literally it wasn't until I was like over 14 to maybe even 15. And did you always enjoy competing? Would you look forward to meets? So it's really bizarre. I kind of didn't. So when I was younger, I, I used to get really... I, I loved training, so I'd go to training. So it was weird. From like 9 to 11, I was literally... I loved competing. I loved... I remember turning up to a cross-country, and it, it was the under-9s race for the cross-country. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mum and dad uh, took me to the competition, and there was nobody 
n- nobody to race against because I was the only one there for the under nines. It was like oh. a, it was, I remember, and the official was like, okay, we'll, we'll take you for a jog. So we literally went and jogged like, I don't know, 600 meters or something like that. And he just made this course up for me and I was the only one running. And so I was really, really keen from like nine to 11. And then post, I think I was probably about 12 or something like that. I get, I then, it turned where I got really nervous for races and I would train so well. Like I would be beating like all these boys at training and be up with all like the older people. Like I would always train so hard and never miss a training session. And then I'd get to a competition and I'd just be so nervous that I would literally just underperform so much. And I think that's kind of, and I think if that wouldn't have happened, I don't think I would have done heptathlon because I then kind of went to do, so then I was like, I still like, we still liked athletics. So my mum, and obviously I was doing hydrant at the time. So um, my mum and dad was like, well, let's try this school's competition. Because that's then what happened. I got into a school's competition Mm -hmm. uh, for the pentathlon and really enjoyed it. And I was like, right, well, I need to practice these events because... I, I literally went to the competition not practicing it at all and obviously you have to throw a shot it went literally about four meters I think. <laughs> it was awful but I managed to qualify to the regional ta- regional thing after and I was like oh my god this is so cool so then I my coach who's the endurance coach of the club's son does decathlon my endurance coach said to his son uh, would you be able to kind of um coach Neve a little bit because she wants to do this pentathlon this heptathlon but she um she doesn't know how to do it all the events so he just basically taught me a couple of things leading up to English schools in September so it was kind of like I had like a month training and then went to English schools it was and it was really um so it kind of just all happened like that so I actually began athletics well I kind of got into it because I didn't like competing and I got really nervous for the, in the 800. Fascinated to hear that you weren't always a happy competitor. No. How bad did it get? When did it really manifest itself these nerves? I, it was a bit weird like I don't really fully can't put like pinpoints on it because it was so long ago but I remember literally like throwing up before races because I was that nervous and I and these were all like cross-country type things and then and I'd just, in the middle of the race, I think I'd just start like jogging because I just didn't, I just couldn't oh, deal you. with it. Yeah, it was really bad. So then obviously my parents like, this is supposed to be fun. Like just yeah. like, so I kind of, but then the, the weird thing was I still trained really hard. So it was like weird in competition. I was like scared of the pain, but then in training I would push right through it and I would, and I would still run really mm. good times in training. So it was just really confusing. But I think... It, it was more kind of like just me as a young, um, it was more me as a young kid, just kind of not really dealing with it. I'm, I'm not really too sure, but me looking back now, I think it was literally just that I didn't want to race and I'd got too nervous and I, could, I didn't like the pain, to be honest. And then I kind of just gradually moved to the um, pentathlon and then the 800 then, I still was, I still was like, oh my God, the 800. And I would literally even from starting the hurt the pentathlon hurdles in the morning i'd be thinking about the 800 and i would just be like oh my god i'm so nervous and i used to honestly it was so bad and but then i gradually just thought about it differently and was kind of like it's okay and i always knew as well that in the pen in the pentathlon when i came to do it i was the best 800 meter runner in the pentathlon by quite a bit because you know all the kids were like really young and they never trained for it whereas i'd trained for this 800 since i was nine so i would then kind of just literally and i was probably like 14 and they'd probably never done an 800 meter session like um so i would literally um just kind of run out on my own and it was just a time trial by myself so i think that 
meant that I could expose myself to the pain as I wanted to. So then I gradually, every single race, just tried to attack it more. And then kind of, and I think it was only, on, truly, it's really bizarre, but I think it was only at the Commonwealth Games um, that I, and um, and Finland and 2018, really, that I fully, fully, fully applied myself to the 800, which is really bizarre, to be honest. That is definitely, considering how many heptathlons you've done at a really good level by that yeah. point. That's the thing, like, I definitely put hard hard work into the 800 and, like, really ran hard in the race, but I hadn't put 100% and fully applied myself until, like, the 2018 season, I think. Well, one of the things I'm most looking forward to discussing later is that sort of <laughs> love you have, love-hate, I imagine, relationship you have with a dramatic 800 metres. Oh, God. At the end of a heptathlon, like, the number of amazing photos there are of you just horizontal on a track shortly after the finishing line it's something that I think the years to come we're going to be enjoying but before we get there you had your English schools pentathlon your first one and you got an England selection off the back of it right you finished four yeah 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 that must have been incredibly exciting given that just the year before you'd met Jas Ennis at the London yeah. Stadium during the Olympics there's that adorable photo of the two of you. It's so cute, isn't it? And I also heard a similarly adorable story about how you met her again at Sports Personality of the Year Award and asked her out for a coffee. Yeah. For those of our, those people listening who haven't heard that story, can you talk me through the chronology of your burgeoning friendship with Jessica Ennis Hill? Um, so the very, very, very first time, it was actually at... Uh, it was in Sheffield, so it was... And it was actually... It was actually pre-Olympics, so it was 2010 or 11. Okay. Because people was asking me about it, and and when the people, when the newspaper asked me, I was really like, um, oh, I really don't know. So since, so I just said, oh, I imagine it was this time, because I was trying to gauge how old I was. Mm. And then since that, I went back and actually looked and tried to find out when it was. And yeah, it was actually before she'd uh, won her Olympics medal. Okay. Um, yeah, because I, I remember w- when she won in uh, London, we then got the photo out and was like, oh, look. So it was definitely uh, before she won London. And it was in Sheffield because I was doing like a 800 metre training. It was like a regional endurance squad type thing. I don't mm. know what, what it really was. And we was training in Sheffield. I think it was, I think Kelly Holmes might have even done the... Um, event I can't remember but it was kind of like this thing where like to get people into running and stuff so Jess and Philip's um Adu was there as well so we went up and got a photo with her and at the time my mum was like just go get a photo so I just stood there got the photo and then people were just swamping her so then we just ran off and then fast forward all the way till 2018 and she was commentating um about me in uh, Australia and I'd never I hadn't met her until this point then um, so then I saw her at Sports Personality and she, I was with Morgan Lake and she just came straight up to Morgan and started talking to her and she was like, hi to me. And I was just honestly like, I am the most talkative person ever. And I didn't talk at all. I was just like, hi. I was honestly like, wow. And then literally, and then she kind of just left and the conversation finished and I was like, oh my God, that was just Ennis. And Morgan was like, yeah, she's so nice and so normal. I was just like, oh my God. I was just so taken back. And then... And then as it went on, I was just like, oh my God, Jess is literally there. So then I went back over to her later on after the event had finished and just and was just like, oh, Jess, like, um, is there any, like, uh, way that I could kind of, like, 
asked to meet up with you and ask you questions or something and da, da, da. and she was just like oh yeah sure um and then was just really nice about it and I kind of just made friends with our guests there really. Now imagine the first time you met her when you were just absolutely tiny you were looking up at her both as a hero but also physically yeah. and all of a sudden you're 5'11 and Jess is infamously yeah. tiny for a heptathlete. Yeah. No, definitely. I think it was bizarre because I, I, you know, when you see on TV, you, you don't realise how small she actually is. So no, it, it just makes her achievements even more like, wow. <laughs> I have heard that she's incredibly down to earth and lovely. Mm. What's the best piece of advice that she's given you? So the main thing I kind of spoke about was that I was so interested to see how she dealt with the pressure in um, London. Uh, because like Goldie Sayers had said to me that she, that there was coming in from the holding camp and honestly her, Jess's face was everywhere and she, and she just had so much pressure on her. Mm. So then I kind of said to Jess, like, how did you deal with all that pressure? And she was kind of just saying like, she didn't really say, I think she just said that when you're kind of in the moment, it's very different. You just kind of get on with it. Whereas actually stepping back and thinking about it, you're like, whoa, yeah, that is a big deal. So I, I think, and she just kind of said that, like, just keep plucking away. And, and for her, she just um, kept working, working. Then one minute just said, hi, I'm here. And then obviously started winning all the medals. So I think she just kind of said to me, just keep working hard. And then just one day you'll come out and just be like, OK, now I'm ready to, I don't know, do really well. So it, that was quite um, nice of her. Really lovely. And to know that you can call her if you need her yeah. in the coming years will be fantastic. Yeah, no, definitely. You were very quickly competing at a really high level and competing up age groups mm. as well. Did you just take it all in your stride? Did it all feel really natural to you? And the movement to multi-events, did that feel very seamless? Yeah, it was really, it all just seemed really natural, I think. As soon as I, I did the um, England schools um, in Glasgow uh, pentathlon, I, I kind of just was like, I really like pentathlon and I just took to it really naturally. And even though I still had bad events and strong events, I, I think I just, I just really, I just liked it a lot. And I think it can like my training as well. I just um, slotted all my multi-events training on a Saturday and a Sunday. So I actually carried on doing my 800 meter week oh, really? um, okay. until then. And I only really changed fully until when I came to uni. So European juniors um, that year in Grosseto, mm. I was still training. So like, how it worked was I would do um, gym on a Monday, um, Tuesday I would do like eight, an, an 800 meter session. Then like Wednesday, I think it would be like either rest, I think. And then mm. Thursday I would do like javelin and uh, like a long run type thing. Then Friday, I think it would be... I do just try and pick up all the events then at the weekend and do little bits and kind of do like 20 minutes of shot and a bit of long. It was really kind of like very weird programming, but it was kind of because my coach was working full time. I didn't, we, we, we kind of started the heptathlon, but it was a natural progression. We never actually said, oh, let's be a heptathlete now. It was all, and then when I came to uni, it was like, okay, now your week will completely change. And then it completely did change. And I think that's also the reason why I'm not exactly the speediest I'm not like, if I'm lacking in anything, I would say it's speed, but I think it's because we've only really made a conscious effort to try and get my speed up in the last two years. So I think this year and, and the next coming years, just try and really focus on that because even like for 200, I haven't, I didn't train for that until this year, which is a bit annoying because obviously I wanted to kind of run a quick two, but obviously I can't, so... 
that is completely different to every other heptathlon training program I've had described to me. It yeah. very much seems to me that they are based on those principles that we discussed earlier, the speed and the power, the explosiveness. Yeah. yeah, and yet yours was until very recently geared around the final event, which for a lot of people is one that you just get around. Well, this this is the thing. My training program isn't like that anymore. Like mm. it is very speed power and it's not like the, we kind of said that with the 800, like we've changed my um, 800 sessions a lot and they're, they're basically all 200 meter sessions. And then I have one tempo session to try and just get through the 800. So we kind of said, we don't mind if my 800 goes a little bit slower, but all my, like I don't know, the long jump hurdles and um, 200 get faster because that's three. So it was just kind of circum circumstances which meant that my training plan was so weird (laughs) yeah well I mean it's worked you had a fantastic fantastic career as a junior in that case it would be safe to say that the way that you're approaching training going forwards is to target your weaknesses yeah rather than amplifying your strengths yeah I think it's kind of both but definitely weaknesses because I think kind of like by working on my weaknesses it will help my strengths as well definitely in the speed because or because even though my long jump's like like good it can definitely be better whereas um mm-hmm. yeah definitely kind of work on my weaknesses I think but I still so people ask as well like how often do you concentrate on the events and it, it'll still remain like doing my throws once a week and everything once a week but that was interesting because I said to Jess like what was your training week like and she said that she was doing shot put and javelin like two to three times a week and um like in her late late stages of her career and I was like that's really fascinating because to me it was just so natural to just do everything once a week do you think you might adapt to something a bit more similar to jazz as you get older and it's more about making little tweaks and big steps forwards in each event yeah I feel it'll definitely change as I get older yes and I think when Jess was doing um shot and jab like twice a week she she was she was a lot older and in the peak of her career so I feel like she definitely Mm. had all her speed established whereas for me I kind of just need to get the like the basic kind of things that underpin the heptathlon first and then I can kind of make Mm. tweaks when I'm older definitely with so many fundamentals still to bring together with it being something you've come to over the last sort of four or five years do you think you've yet put together a single really good heptathlon I certainly think so as a fan but you Neve as the athlete how do you feel about the ones you've put out so far so I think I've definitely put together um heptathlons that I've been like wow I didn't think I'd do that so like at the world juniors like I definitely over well not necessarily overperformed, but I, I definitely like my hurdles and my high jump were I was really really surprised at them I, I didn't expect that at all but my shot put was really poor my 200 was really poor my long jump was really good my javelin was poor and then my 800 was really good but then to me, because I had some really good events that I didn't expect at all, and I had some poor events that I was like, oh, that's not good, then it averages out, and it was a solid heptathlon. I mean, you know when, like, Nafi TM had a heptathlon where she PB'd in every event? Like, that's that that was my indoors, really. So I, I definitely think indoors was, um, like, your dream heptathlon, uh, dream pentathlon, definitely. And I think I haven't had a pentathlon like that yet. Uh, mm-hmm. A heptathlon like that, sorry, like my pentathlon. So I think... Yeah, it would definitely be interesting to see. But at the same time, I think the art of heptathlon and pentathlon is being solid. So even just like, even my World Juniors one, I was obviously really happy with the outcome and the score. I still think it was a good heptathlon because it, it was solid. Glasgow for me, like you said, was the perfect pentathlon. You, you yeah, can't definitely. really do any better than five individual PBs and one 
overall personal yeah. best. That was just ridiculous. And watching it in the flash, and it seemed to me like you just really enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah, Glasgow was really good. And I think it was because I hadn't done a pentathlon for a few years, so I'd forgotten what it was like. And it just was, it was really good because I'd done obviously the Commonwealth Games, but there wasn't any European heptathletes there. And the European heptathlons, heptathletes that I look up to were at um, the um, Glasgow European Indoors. So it was kind of a completely different experience. And I feel like it felt a little bit more upscale than the Commonwealth just because the standard was higher so I think being in a competition like that I was just literally kind of a bit oh wow that's that person Do you know what I mean and it was it was mm-hmm. really bizarre for somebody who's definitely been a fan of athletics turned like competitor so it was weird you mentioned the Gold Coast that was probably the first time that Joe Bloggs watching on his sofa at home heard of Neve Emerson from a spectator standpoint it looked utterly effortless your transition from junior to senior on a global stage yeah did it feel easy in your shoes so I was also asked this um kind of like did you your junior to senior progression and I kind of didn't really see you know when people say the step up I didn't notice the step up Mm. so I, I didn't notice kind of like a step up between it was just so seamless for me and I think it felt that way and and people say it looked that way. The reason it was like that, I think, was because I went from the World Juniors, which is really high standard, to the Commonwealth, which was a similar standard to the World Juniors. Kat won, um, and she was really far ahead of everyone else, whereas everyone else at the Commonwealth was a junior, kind of like they were 18 to... Like, I was 18 to, like, 19, 20. And it was very... To me, there was kind of, like, my peers and similar age to me fighting for second and third. I mean, there definitely was the older athletes, more experienced ones there. But for the medals, it seemed to be, the like, kind of my peer, my peers. Mm. So I think, to me, it, even though it was a senior competition, I maybe... I, I just didn't overwhelm me because I think the standard was like, it was within my reach. Whereas whereas I think if I would have gone and jumped straight into like Europeans or jumped straight into um, the Worlds or just any other competition, I think I would have really, really seen, wow, this they're a big, they're far ahead. But then again, I think because heptathlon, it's kind of like, it's everyone's good at some events and everyone's not so good at others. It kind of balances it out. And I think it's a good event for you to not really notice the gap, I think, because it, you, it's very individual. Whereas, you know, like if you're a sprinter and you're back and you're going to go race on race, it, obviously they'll overtake you. And I don't know, I just think it, I never really noticed the gap. So I think, but but me personally, I think it, the, the the transition may come now, like even though I've kind of gone into the senior ranks already, but obviously I've now got to take time out because of my knee. Maybe I'll find it a little bit more difficult for the indoors and then hopefully have it good for the outdoors next year I don't know I just think it's a really bizarre one to be honest because I haven't really thought about it you managed the transition physically incredibly well and you said that actually the Gold Coast was that perfect sort of gateway competition Mm. into the senior ranks but it's as much mental as it is physical and psychological and it seems to me like you've got a really great coaching team around you do you think they deserve a lot of credit for how well you've moved up to senior competition i think so my coach david feeney he just puts so much effort into my training program and trying to make everything flow and because the thing is he works full-time so it's kind of like he 
comes after work and we do the the events he does with me after work and then he'll do this program and then I'll have to kind of like go see people in the day like my shot put coach Sean Pickering um then for javelin Goldie has started helping me um God he mm. says for jav and then I also have like gym coaches in the day and also high jump coach Graham Ravenscroft so it kind of works and then David will take like my long jump my 200 my 800 hurdles all that definitely they've helped so much and also kind of like as well British Athletics um they've helped so much especially the physio team and the doctors because I have had I've not had it easy with injuries since kind of like 2016 really I've had like a chronic tendonitis um patella tendonitis um which we've managed really well and it was kind of like before Australia we had I started my rehab with them in October time and the Commonwealth Games was in the April and we I didn't start jumping until like four weeks out from Australia so wow. yeah so I didn't start high jump until um four weeks out and then I'd had to had two weeks before that transitioning so like actually like jumping onto the bed and, and it honestly we had such a strict numbers so I had literally like so six weeks out I had like um three jumps onto the bed then the week after that I'd have like three jumps and a scissor over a bar so I think all their hard work has definitely helped and I think just the support system and having my coach David just it's really um because we've always had really hard time scales and stuff like that because I've had like an injury or something and then we've had right we've got this many weeks this has to be done and we've had a really tight time scale So I think that's why kind of like me having my operation now is a really good thing because it means hopefully I'm not going to have to have any time scales. I just get back when I'm ready and then hopefully sort out my tendonitis that I've had for a very long time. (laughs) That'll be almost two and a half years of, yeah, an injury that you can now put to bed. Definitely. I had forgotten about the injury coming into the Gold Coast until you mentioned it. Yeah. Because I was going to say that you were third ranked coming into it, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on paper, you were always a potential medalist. I just think people yeah. weren't that aware of you outside of the really nerdy athletics fans yeah, like yeah. ourselves. Did you believe that going into it with that injury on the back of your mind? Did you still think that even though preparations haven't been smooth, they might have been a bit rushed, yep. you could make it onto that podium? Yeah, no, definitely. I think the get the goal, and I always thought that I could come third, like always. And I, I don't. And thinking about it now, it's like, oh god, like I re- my preparation for every event was really good. It was just the high jump, so I was like, oh. But I think we we it was we was really strategic because we said like I'd had in the competition we had a, we had a plan. So we had like, oh, I will do seven jumps. I will come in at this height. I will do this jump, this jump, then maybe fail really? a few. Yeah, so I, and then I we said that I'd jump 180 and then bow out. That was always the goal to just get 180 and then leave. But you did 184 yeah. on the Gold Coast. Yeah, so then, so um, I think it went up to 181. So my knee wasn't hurting. It was, it was, it was, I could feel it a little bit, but when I jumped, I didn't feel it. So it was, it was kind of like a decision in the competition was, oh, we'll just have one go at the next high. And I think, mm-hmm. so then we did that, then I didn't attempt 87. And we kind of always do that. It's really funny because we're like, right, 80, we have to finish and bow out there. Then we always go for the sec- next heights, which is funny. <laughs> but um, but it'd been like that in Finland as well. So like we had like so many jumps and then I, I didn't attempt, um, I mean, I d- jumped 189, but I didn't attempt 192 or whatever it went up to. So like I had to bow out. So I've, I, I always finished on a, um, on, high and then I never attempted the next height so it's been really bizarre that 
then when I got to Glasgow, I basically went to fail and it was really weird. Like it was a weird feeling. That's really interesting. I had no I idea that was the way that you were approaching it. Mm. So that's both a physical and psychological thing, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. It was more, it was more a physical thing, but also, but then it became a psychological thing because I would go into a high jump competition and be like, right, okay, I've got seven jumps. So I'll be like, so I'll do one. I'll be like, okay, six more jumps. And it was really, really bizarre that when I got to a full high jump competition, I was like, oh, well, how many jumps have I got left? I'm like, this is quite tiring. Like, and I want yeah. a number, I want amount of jumps because <laughs> I'm really like that as a person. Like if, if I'm in training and someone tell, doesn't tell me how many jumps I've got, I'll just do them rubbish. And then as soon as I'm told, right, this is your last one, I suddenly do it really good. So my coach has started saying, right, you've got 10 jumps, Neve. So I'll be like, okay, cool. So then I'll just do like 10 good ones. Whereas in the past, we, we wouldn't really put a, a figure on it. And I'd do like five rubbish ones. And then he'd be like, okay, we're just going to finish here. I'd be like, oh, no, 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 I'll start trying now. So <laughs> it's really bad. Well, that actually does not surprise me in the slightest. And I was going to talk to you about this a bit later, but now seems the perfect time to talk about your clutch effort mentality. Yeah. You have such an ability. Jess had it, Nafi has it, and I think a lot of the best athletes on the planet have it. When the pressure is on, you reach into your bag of tricks and you produce a personal best or you produce something that you need. Yeah. I was going back through your big heptathlons and it is incredible how often it's in your third round effort that you produce L- your best mark. No, it is. Have you always had that? Can it be taught? What is going through your head when you're standing there for your third jump? Like, I'm fascinated by it. Talk to me, Neve. I personally, I think it's always been me as in I'll only do things when I have to. So, like, I think that's just me as in, like, in training, I'll do... So, when I was younger, it's not so much now, but when I was younger, I would do rubbish, literally. So, I'd do a high jump session. I would honestly be knocking the bar off, knocking the bar off. And then we'd be like, okay, right, we're going to do some short approach. And then I'd be like, okay, cool, now now I'm going to try. I could, I think... So, when I was younger, I kind of just had this thing where I would only do it if I had to do it. So, like, for example, it's really funny because in training, if somebody, if somebody like, walks in or there becomes a crowd or something at training, um, I'll just start jumping high. Whereas, like, if there's no one there, I'll just flop over the bar. And, and that kind of happened when I was younger. And then as I got older, I think because I'd practised that so much that when I got older, then when I was in situations where I was like... Because in Grosseto, I had two fouls. And then my last attempt, I had to pull one out the bag so in the, in that situation there I was just I just was like all oh, right I've got to do it now so then I just did it and then I think because I'd practiced it when I was younger accidentally just because that was the way I was that that now it just it just it's just really natural to me and I, th- I think you can definitely teach it because thinking back I probably accidentally without realizing taught it myself but I, I do okay. th- I, I, I think but then at the same time it's kind of just like y- you I think because I I do like to do it on my third attempt. It pretty much all, uh, it happens a lot. So I think, and also uh, another weird thing that I do is that when I'm in normal league competitions, or not even normal league, just like out of a heptathlon. So um, mm. like if I'm doing an individual long drop or an individual high jump, I just don't perform, like I just can't. And then as soon as I get into a heptathlon, like I, I'll still run good times, but I the majority of my PBs are from heptathlons because... And then I get into that task and I'm like, right, okay, it actually matters if I don't do a good um, hurdles right now because I've ruined my whole heptathlon. I think it, to me, I just like it when there's a lot of, like, I have to do it and there's pressure and, like, I think, 
I just mm. like that, which is quite weird for somebody who, when I was younger, I hated pressure and like I couldn't do the 800. How conscious is it if you're stood on the runway and it's your final jump and you've done, let's say, a mediocre first jump for your long jump, you've had a foul on the second, it's your third, so you really have to deliver something. Yeah. Do you consciously give yourself a pep talk or do you consciously think, right, I'm going to put more effort into this one? Or is it so instinctive these days that you just go out, execute as normal and the results come? No, it is. I definitely give myself a pep talk. And I think, like, for example, in um, Glasgow, uh, for the long jump, my first two jumps, I put 100% effort in. So it wasn't a case of not putting effort in. It was more a case of, like... So the first one, I, I, I can't remember what happened. I think I just, I just, I thought I started on my wrong leg. <laughs> so like I ran down and then I had to turn around and run back. And I was like, oh God. Anyway, the first one, it was just so rushed. And then what happens is I kind of like, I rushed it and jumped and it was a bad jump. And I was like, oh God. And then the second one, I was in the same like kind of mindset. Like I was in the same, because what kind of happens with me is if I do something bad, I'll stay in that cycle and I have to kind of break the cycle. Whereas if mm -hmm. I do something good, I will just keep, it'll keep, like, for example, in shot port, like I started throwing well one session, then I just carried on and carried on. And it just went and kept, kept going round until I um, had to take time out um, because I, um, I kind of like hurt my back and then came back to shot and I just, I was, I was throwing really badly and I was like, oh God. And this was just before got sis. I was like, oh God. So then I did some sessions and I ca carried on going in this bad circle and I was like, oh gosh. And then one session, I kind of just was like, right, I need to break this. So I can't remember how we did it, but I think I changed my my starting position or something. I, I started a little bit higher and then I got into a, a in like a good cycle again and it was and then I started throwing the same as I was before my uh, back thing so then I was back up to like my Glasgow shot form so it was really bizarre so I think in the Glasgow long jump that happened I had two cycles of bad so I had to break it so to then so in my pep talk I was like right I need to break this pattern that I'm doing so then I purposefully changed my running so like you probably wouldn't be able to tell but for the first two jumps I kind of like ran in and then the last jump I kind of ran in, but had to make sure like I was, I changed a technical cue and then changing the technical cue meant that I jumped, but it was just a gamble, to be honest, that I was on the board perfectly because mm -hmm. before I went to go long jump, I just moved, we, I moved my foot back, like literally three centimetres, something like that, because I was like, just in case. So I just moved my foot back a tiny bit. And then I was like four centimetres off the board or something like that. So it was, let's, a lot of things are, are just fate and, and just chance, but at the same time, I do des definitely give myself a pep talk and kind of like, Neve, you need to change something in order for it to go better. And I kind of like try and, because with my training partners, it's it's really good because we always really try and help each other. And I always just, we always say to each other and I say to them that when they're in like a, you know, when you're in like a bad cycle, and it just keeps going wrong. I'm like, you, you need to change something. Like what you're doing right now obviously isn't working so like when I when I went bad in shot or my long jumps like it isn't working to change something and obviously that is a risk but then a lot of the times I think the risk does pay off that ability to problem solve is crucial in absolutely every sport yeah definitely. definitely in athletics where it's such an individual sport and then I would say even more so in a heptathlon or a multi-event than any discipline within athletics. Yeah. You're a psychology student. Do you think that psychologically you've picked the most challenging event? Mm, so definitely, I think it is definitely the most challenging be because 
of the long days and people when we go to champs and other events um it's really funny because when you go to a champs and other events they're like oh you're up again like because they don't see us for like two whole days <laughs> whereas yeah, it is whereas like the whereas when i was sharing a room with crystal in glasgow it obviously she had rounds and stuff but then she'd just be chilling in the morning for a final in the evening and i just thought that's so weird because if i'm doing a, if i'm do, it's not weird at all but just for me it's so alien because it's we don't do that like as soon as my competition starts you won't see me for two days like it's non-stop oh, obviously just the one day but for pentathlon but i think it is the most mentally challenging because it is because you do have events you're not actually that good at but you have to somehow be positive and problem solve through it um mm. whereas obviously when if you're a sprinter like you're 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 naturally really good at it and you've taken really natural to it and like for example if you're a high jumper you've taken natural to high jump so you're going into a competition against the best in the world and you're naturally good at that event whereas you in heptathlon you've been going against the best in the world in an event you're not actually that confident with or good at so mm. it's it and it is really weird but i think that's the best part about it because people like and that's why heptathletes are such good friends because you recognize that people aren't as good at different events so then it actually becomes more of like a your own thing whereas i think obviously other um hept uh, other athletics events um in track and field are very much all about everyone else because like in a high jump for example it's all about whether the person before you has cleared it or not like and like countbacks and everything whereas heptathlon is just so like individual which also then i think is goes the other way that it's actually is psychologically challenging but but at the same time it's very much individual so it makes it a little bit easier so i don't know i think there's definitely advantages and disadvantages you mentioned going up against people who are world class at an event that you're not naturally great at yeah and that, I imagine, is a really, really horrible feeling when you go in feeling like an underdog and it's going to be painful and challenging and you might not get the result that you want and it might undo, like you said, a whole two days effort. Yeah. But I imagine the pressure and the psychological pressure is actually almost greater when it's an event that you know that you're really good at. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, can we talk about the hours in between your javelin and the 800 metres oh at the World Juniors? Because I bet those were some of the longest hours of your life. Literally, I definitely, I think... I'll be honest, I think that was a really big turning point in the way I run 800 and the way I apply myself because mm -hmm. I kind of like, I remember finishing the javelin and I threw my last javelin and I was like, oh my God, I've messed up so badly because I was, hang on, I threw 30, so I threw 39. 39.02, mm -hmm. 15th in the competition. Yeah, but my last two throws were like 35 and I was thinking, oh gosh my pb yeah it was like 43 or something so i'd only lost about four meters but obviously when sarah um had just thrown out of her skin and thrown a pb like it's it then just amplifies oh neve like you're that that's not good so i remember mm. coming back from the um from the stadium and just thinking oh my god i just felt so nervous and so awful but then i think I then spoke, to, sat down with my coach and my high jump coach and it was really funny because they basically, 
they just made it all so much better and like I just mm-hmm. didn't feel nervous anymore because what happened was we we sat down and we and we got a video up of um the girl who I was racing against for the gold medal Sarah she'd always been um like got a medal at junior competitions and she'd been in a similar situation like this where it was down to the 800 to see who won the medal so it was interesting to see how she ran her race and what happened was she tucked behind the person and then just tried to stay behind them and then kick at 300. And that's literally exactly what happened in my race. So I, oh, yeah. so actually mm. I went into my race kind of knowing, or that's why I think I was so, not necessarily okay with it, but I was at ease because I was like, right, my game plan, I just focused completely on my game plan. And as soon as I had this strategy, the whole nerves just went. My plan was, which, which is what I literally did was, um, go out stay behind this girl the polish girl who was going for bronze because she'd said to me it was she'd said to me because the thing is this heptathletes all talked to each other before so she'd already told me her game plan was to go around in like 62 and i was like oh that's too fast for me i want to go around in 64 so i knew that the polish girl would go out and be ahead of me so i'd just sit behind her and i knew that sarah would get then go behind me and that's literally exactly what happened so then i anticipated that Sarah would kick at 300 like she did in the video and she did so I just made sure I kicked at 300 as well so and because I had done 800 since I was like nine I kind of just was like I need to kind of take confidence from this and not be worried so it was weird how it all happened but I think the reason I wasn't I was nervous going into it but I was kind of just also adopted the mindset that whoever at the end of the day like the best 800 meter runner wins really and I think she'll give it a good go and I'll give it a good go and what will happen will happen as long as I've put 100% in the nerves kind of went away with that control the controllables thing isn't it D- definitely all you can do is run your race D- exactly and I had we had a game plan and I think I was so nervous before that and then as soon as we had the game plan I was like oh it's fine like I was like I just need to stick to this and it'll be okay. And if it's not okay, then at the end of the day, I've given it my best shot and coming second is still pretty amazing. So I was kind of just like, it was hard to play for really, but it was nerve wracking. It really was. Um, it, it, yeah, it's weird. When I think back, it's like, gosh, that it, it was really, I don't know how I actually d- dealt with it so well. Like the whole heptathlon was really alien to me because I'd never been in the lead from the second event. I'd always been back in the line um in the in the like standings and then done the 800 and and moved up a few places i'd never been like fighting to keep first place so it was really weird doing a heptathlon from that position you said that silver would have been an amazing achievement and of course to get any medal on a global stage is phenomenal but you were there for the gold right yeah yeah definitely like I I did I did definitely want to actually well actually so the weird thing is I went into the competition and I actually wanted to get bronze this is really bizarre I was like right I just want to get um second or third because I didn't think I'd be able to win it just because the whole of my junior ranks these girls had won every single competition and I'd fully applied myself and I'd come like fourth the year before so I actually went in with the mindset to come second or third but then as the competition started and I was in first place it completely switched and I was like oh no no like I'm here to win this instead of the second and third but it wasn't until after the high jump which is actually yeah so no but definitely then as soon as that happened then I wasn't taking anything um, other than the gold. And then the rain started coming down during that 800 metres. Oh, yeah. You, how aware of that were you? I imagine you were so focused on that finishing line, but I yeah. bet all the cross-country background really paid off once that started. I had no idea it was raining. So, like, 
I literally got on this. I remember walking out and being like, oh my gosh, why does it have to rain now? And then as soon as I got on the start line, I just didn't even know it was raining. I literally like had no idea. I think I was so fixated on the other girl and the race that I was just, that I didn't even know it was raining. And then I remember when I finished the race, all the girls were like, oh my God, that was so hard to run in the rain. I was just thinking, oh, I didn't even, even realise it was raining. And then as soon as I finished, literally, then as soon as I finished, I was like, oh my God, the rain's really warm. It was really bizarre. Like, yeah. And a total bummer because you ran a PB in that race. You were yeah, definitely. Spent, and you spent quite a lot of time on the track in the rain afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I remember finishing and just flopping to the floor with being so tired and everyone was like uh, was she really emotional I was like no I was just tired just <laughs> and exhausted. then and then I think as soon as I finished I was like oh my gosh I can't believe that these two days are over because it was it's so mentally draining that I was like I can't believe it's actually over mm-hmm. it was a really weird weird experience was that or was Glasgow the greatest achievement of your career yet so I think so I think they're both quite equal. Um, I think that the World Juniors was a lot of kind of like pressure and really stressful and kind of like these are my these are against my own girls, uh, my own age group. And whereas Glasgow was very much kind of like I just not the underdog, but like kind of just. I wasn't really expected and people were kind of like, oh, she's really high up the rankings now, but we've still got a lot of events to go so she can drop down and this. So I think, to be honest, I, I think Glasgow definitely was um, a lot harder and I really stepped up my game for that. But I think ha- the Finland was actually mentally a lot more challenging for me. It's a hard one, yeah. Finland was also from an outsider's perspective, just so dramatic and exciting. Yeah, definitely. I was following it, I think, just via Twitter and websites and live blogs for the first few events, but by the second day, I was watching it all live. And that 800 metres, one of my favourite finales to a (laughs) multi-event I've ever seen. I think probably that and Cats 800 in Berlin and Jess's Mm. 800 in London, probably my three favourites. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Just, it's so emotional just watching it. I can't even imagine what it's like running. Mm. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely no doubt about that. <coughs> Finland is nicely bookended by 2017 when you got a photo with Kat during the World Champs. Mm-hmm. She recognised you, didn't you? And she came yeah. over. And I've seen a cute comment by you saying that afterwards she followed you on Instagram. And that was yeah. really exciting. So back then, she was a bit of an inspiration to you. And then you jump forwards just two years after Finland and you two are competing in Glasgow and she's saying, hey, Neve, you should be targeting a medal here. Mm. How has that relationship changed over the last two years? Um, it's changed a lot. I think it was... The, the real changing point was um, Australia because we went there and we was hanging around, like, before the competition and... Obviously, I was just like, oh my gosh, that, like, that's cat, and I was, ju- and I was just really like, wow, I can't believe it. Da, da, da. And then as soon, and then, and then it kind of changed where like it was kind of more like more of a friends thing, and just like a more of like a respect, obviously, because we're on the same team and kind of performing. And then, so I think it changed really in Austra- in Australia, and then in Glasgow, we kind of just was just like normal friends, like hey. <laughs> I don't know, just talking about normal things. And then, so it's, I think it, it's, but it kind of was really natural. It, it's, it's weird how things happen so fast like that, though. Nafi and Kat is one of the hottest head-to-heads in sport at the moment. Yeah. Who's going to win gold in Doha? Uh, 
You see, because I'm a Brit, I have to support Kat. So I'm going to say Kat, but I do think um, Tiam, it will be so interesting to see what she does because obviously she's had the indoor season out and we haven't really seen her yet. So I think I'm really excited to see her um, kind of come back post-injury. Um, so I'm, it's, I'm, I'm going to have to say Kat because, um, you know, you've got to support the Brits. But I am really excited to see Tian because obviously I, I definitely look up to her. Do you think you have more similarities with Tian than you do with Kat? Solid throws, good and jumps, really improving across the board and you both have that ability to produce when it matters the most. It seems to me like you and Kat are completely different athletes in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I do think I'm a lot different to Kat. I think like she's got really natural speed and hers is and she, like her 200 is crazy and I think TM doesn't TM's getting definitely getting faster and mm. I'm I'm not as fast as Kat either so I think like so I think me and so like I'm my speed isn't as fast as um Kat's and TM's obviously isn't as fast as Kat's so I think speed wise I'm definitely more similar to TM not necessarily the fastest person but also I think we're definitely both improving our speeds which is good but I also think, like, tech, like throws-wise and technically, I think I'm more like TM as well. I think Kat's got, like, this incredible speed and also, like, obviously amazing long jump and high jump, really. Um, so we've got Kat's taking gold in Doha. Nafi will take the silver. Yeah. We're hoping it'll come down to a blistering final 800 with all the numbers and everyone crunching them and poor John Mulkey the stat man, like, going absolutely nuts over his calculator. Who's going to win the bronze? Mm. So... Bronze, I think it's going to be between... Because obviously you've always got, like, your Schaefer um, and, and your people like that. Um, but I also think the likes of, like, um, Erica Bugard, she's definitely a um, somebody who's, like, an underdog who could definitely... Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Because obviously her speed is incredible and and her, um, her, like, her hurdles. To be honest, I have really no idea because I think the bronze is always any of it is, and especially with an event like the heptathlon where, where somebody can go have the most amazing day and someone can have, like, the worst day. So, obviously, you've got people like Ivana Dadic, so she could be a um, potential. I think the bronze is definitely really open, and I think it'll be really exciting because, obviously, you've got Laura... Um, Lara Inkernis, who's coming back from her injury as well. And I've always loved her. I've always, she's always been um, a athlete. I've always loved watching, mm-hmm. um, especially around like 2016. But she'll be a really interesting one to watch as well. And right at the top, you've got those two tussling it out. But there is one great big world record that looks mm-hmm. pretty... It looks pretty untouchable. Nafi's still 278 points behind Jackie Joyner-Kersey. What will it take for that to go? We've just seen the men's decathlon record go. Do you think we might see the women's one fall soon? I think the women's decathlon will... I think it will go soon. I don't think just yet. I think definitely not, like, maybe potentially 2020. But maybe... God, that's soon. But that's soon. and Maybe more, like... 2022 then like the world champs i think it it will go maybe or definitely they'll get a lot closer to it than they have in the past because like obviously people haven't really been that close to it for a while so i think they'll definitely but maybe more like maybe it will be more like paris in 2024 because like obviously the 200 even from nafi 7000 like the 200 points is quite a lot and i think especially when you get to like the 7000 points barrier everything seems to be quite like the points that you can get seem to be quite small gains. But then, I don't know, because obviously Tian 
isn't like she does have improvements to make even at mm-hmm. her very best which is really exciting for her the boys both think that that got this score that pb that naffy set away like you said she set personal best yeah. in almost every event and she threw that freak of a javelin yeah they think that that is almost like the best we might see from her that because it was such a perfect heptathlon it's going to be mm, very difficult true. for her to improve upon it so i think you're right that's the difficult thing is once you're competing with such a well-rounded multi-event approach it's really difficult to pick up all those points and that's you know averages out at about 40 points an event exactly that's a lot yeah literally so I think I think she'll definitely kind of get up to the 7,000 again and and be more consistent around there so I think she'll definitely get more consistent and then hopefully get more points added on but I think it will kind of just potentially stay at that level and just kind of stay a bit more consistent but to be Mm. honest I I hope not like I hope she definitely but the thing is it's really difficult because literally like obviously the higher the points get the then the gains get smaller do you know what i mean because yeah, obviously her bases are all covered she hasn't really got a weak event so it's not like she can just drop a 200 by a second because obviously you know what i mean <laughs> of course yeah. you mentioned tokyo let's take a look at tokyo but en route we'll stop at yeah. gotsis i've got an interesting question from a listener um gabby piracini multi-event queen she told me when we spoke the other day that when you were announced for Gotsis, you said that you've been following the meet ever since you were really, really yeah. young. So even though you weren't competing as anything other than a middle distance runner yeah. when you were little, you were aware of the heptathlon. How did you know about Gotsis from such a young age? Yeah, it's really bizarre because I'd always looked up to Jess. Mm-hmm. We always knew she obviously competed there. So I was like, oh, Jess. And even though I wasn't into heptathlon, I was very much kind of like, oh, I just love Jess. And I, as I think a lot of people did, when I did the pentathlon, I was like, oh, it's just Ennis's event. But I never kind of thought, oh, I want to do pentathlon. It was really weird. I never really put that association together. I was kind of just like, oh, I just love Jess. I'll just carry on my 800. It was kind of like a bit weird. But got sis, no, we definitely kind of just, we used to watch it on the live stream. Um, it was really funny because my mum and dad as well, I think it was more like, it was more um, done by them because they obviously were a little bit more aware and uh, followed it and obviously there was that oh Jess is competing here let's watch it so, and then as I got older and started doing heptathlon and kind of like was like 16 17 I would then literally just go off my own back and be like oh I need to see what's going on I've got this and then have the little live stream up while I'm revising or whatever <laughs> I love that so you must have, it must have been really awful then when you got there feeling good obviously good yeah. winter behind you fantastic outing in Glasgow and then the knee went did you realise straight away that it was serious? Yeah, no, I did because I I basically kind of like I was doing the high jump and it was it was one jump where it happened. It it wasn't like a build up of the jumps and the competition was going really well. So, well, it wasn't going brilliant. Like it was a competition where I had to work into it. Like I'd started the competition um, and I I was going quite well, but I was quite nervous. So um, I was a little bit like doing a couple of second attempts, but. And then I got to 83, cleared that um, on my first attempt. And then I got to 86, and then my first attempt, I nearly cleared it. So it was really, uh, which is really annoying, because if I would have cleared that, then I probably would never have actually done my knee, um, which is really weird. But then I may have done it on the next height anyway, when it went up to like 88 or whatever. So um, so so I went to attempt 86 for my second jump, and I kind of just really attacked it. And I just remember running at it really... Um, fast but I think that that was the problem because I must have um, jammed my knee wrong because it was literally the one jump where it went 
So then I kind of just um, landed on the bed and I just remember looking over to my high jump coach and just being like, oh my God, my knee ripped. Because he thought I'd just flopped into the bed because like I just timed it wrong. He didn't think anything was wrong. Mm. And I was like, oh no, my, my knee's not good. And he was like, wow, like what? He didn't, he didn't have a clue. And I was like, no, it feels really bad. It just kills. And like, I didn't hear it pop or anything. Like, because afterwards the physios were saying, did you feel a pop? This is, I was like, no, no, it was just pain. Then I kind of like got off the bed and I couldn't really walk. And I was like, oh my God. But I'd been in pain like this before with my knee, like when it was at its worst. And I was like, you know what? I just need to rest, chill out and like stop the hydrant competition. So I was like, oh, I, I bowed out at three. And then I was like, and then I'll be fine for shot put. Um, so, cause I've done this all in the past. I was like, I just need to like take those painkillers or whatever. So then after that, I then um, started to like walk and it just didn't feel right at all. And then I was like, oh, this is not good. Because when I immediately came off the bed, I think I still had adrenaline and it was painful, but it had been a similar pain I'd had in the past. And then as soon as I walked, it went off. Whereas um, it didn't and I couldn't really walk. And then I went to go try to do a glide and I literally just couldn't squat. And I was like, this is not good. And then I couldn't walk around. And I just knew then that I'd like torn something. What I couldn't do is I couldn't, if my legs like at 90, I couldn't bring it up to like 180. And I was like, oh God, that's worrying. So it's obviously like a tendon or something. Mm. And then, and it, 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 it swelled as well. So we kind of just, and the physio there, I was like, do you know what it is? And he was like, I can't tell because we need to scan it. And I think he was kind of just putting off not telling me really, because at the end of the day, him telling me there, it, there's not really any point so I obviously then got back home had a scan and then they'd said like I'd partially torn it which I suppose is bad but it, I think the reason that it I partially tore it was it was a number one a freak accident literally just an accident takeoff but then also because of the chronic tendonitis I'd had for a lot of years um it had made it weak anyway so it was a little bit more susceptible so that was quite an easy call to just go we're going to nip this in the bud go back to square yeah. one and so you've had surgery now, you're, what did you say, three weeks nearly post-op? Yeah, what will be three weeks on Saturday. Well, congratulations on the three-week anniversary. <laughs> What's you. the timeline looking like? How long until you're back doing some sort of training? The plan at the moment is it takes six weeks for the operation that I've had to fully heal. So, um, so for my tendon to like reattach and fully... Da, da, da. So, um, that being said, these six weeks, um, I'll basically kind of just do um a little bit of just like I've been doing like compacts and kind of like stretching it out and a couple of press ups like I did today that's about it so I've literally done nothing for the last three weeks this three weeks and then I'm going to go to the physio um either today or tomorrow and they'll kind of just give me a rough plan for the next three weeks it'll be really light stuff really probably just take a break to be honest for these six weeks then after the six weeks when it's fully healed and I'm fully walking again, I think we'll start like jogging, doing things, um, doing a lot of rehab because I think I've been unfortunate with quite a few injuries I've had in the past. So I think it's a good opportunity to just sort everything out, um, especially kind of like just my, just everything really and really start from zero and just sort my coordination, my like posture because that's not brilliant. Um, so then we'll probably spend about, after these six weeks of this healing, I'll then spend another six weeks doing rehab they said in total it'll be five months until I'm fully, fully, fully back high jumping like it never happened. Um, so that brings me to se- starting in September or October, a full um, winter training. So that is basically the aim now. So the new aim is to be fully, fully fit 
going into winter so I think in the meantime I'll do like pool sessions tempo and just kind of start training really to make sure that I'm fully okay to train in September. Which potentially means that come September for the first time in quite a few years now you'll be niggle free yeah. ready to really attack an Olympic year because I imagine Eve that Tokyo is a huge target of yours. The plan was um, obviously to do the world champs in Doha and then have a break and then start training. So it would have meant that I wouldn't have started training um, for the Olympics until, hang on, it's in October, then had a break, probably November. I wouldn't have started training until December. So it means I've got an extra four months of training really for the Olympics. It's at, so we kind of see it as a little kind of it's not a bad thing at all obviously it's going to be really upsetting missing Doha but in truth it kind of it made the prep for Tokyo different because it is so late and I think obviously it made it different not necessarily bad but for somebody like me who has struggled with injuries and does need time to just rest and time to sort them out as soon as I did my knee and told I wasn't having a season I just completely switched off Doha and it was straight to Tokyo whereas in the past I was kind of, Doha is the first goal. And then after that, we'll then try and sort Tokyo out. So it's actually not a bad thing because it just means I get extra time to prepare. It's incredibly positive of you. <laughs> Both yeah. very well for the future if you can bounce back so strongly from these things. Being completely honest, do you want to come back from Tokyo with a medal? Do you want to come back with a gold medal? What's the target? <laughs> well, I do, I do, obviously, I feel like everybody wants to medal and I think it's it's... It's just everyone's goals. I think because it'll be my first Olympics, obviously, and at the minute now, I'm very like, <laughs> I can't even walk. I'm like, oh God, that's nerve-wracking. But I think it's funny how things do change really quickly. And I think as soon as I get into training and start improving and see things happen, you obviously start getting more confidence and start adapting your goals. So I think at the minute, I just really want to qualify, get there and just finish top six, really. And then I think... As, and then as time goes on, you can try and potentially look for a medal. But I think if I start thinking now, oh, I want to medal, I don't, I don't know because I'm not... Do you know what I mean? So I, I think I definitely want to... Um, my, my sights are 100% on 2024 to medal, 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think for Tokyo, I just want to be there, be in really good shape and just really kind of just put together a good heptathlon yeah. and I think especially missing this year as well it'll be even more important just to be there healthy mm -hmm. but I do think um I definitely will go there with the mindset to medal it's just whether it actually happens and just give a good account of yourself I guess be competitive yeah definitely and leave feeling proud of what you've put together mm -hmm. it must be really difficult with this sudden influx of media attention to stay really patient and not grounded because you strike me as someone who's incredibly humble and hustling in their approach to their discipline but now that suddenly you know you're getting requests for interviews exhibit a we're chatting now yeah does it make you that bit more prone to impatience and thinking oh I, I want more results I want to keep being on podiums I want to keep smashing records yeah no definitely I think I am a very impatient person anyway like I hate <laughs> waiting even though I'm always late so I make people wait really <laughs> are you bad. really oh no <laughs> And so I really don't like waiting. I think when people like, obviously, Jess and people like Denise say you need to be patient, obviously you have to listen because they know what they're talking about. Yeah, I just do need to just take my time. And I think, because I, I could have easily have rushed this and tried to get, because I think even with this injury here, I probably could have rushed and tried to get back 
in time for Doha, maybe. It's just silly because obviously it meant I would have had to rush everything and, and do need to be patient. So I think it's just so much better just saying, Neve, just rest, you know. Just bide your time. And as I mentioned to you before we hit record, you're in pretty good company as a international medalist and a British pentathlete because as Bayo told me yesterday, it is statistically the UK's most successful event. And yet Really? The, yeah, apparently it's what we are best at is heptathlon. I mean if you just look through the history books, Mary Rand, Mary Peters, Judy Simpson, Denise Lewis, Kelly Southerton, Jess, Kat, you're yep. part of a coterie of really brilliant women, but they're not without their injury battles. And it must be quite no, exciting definitely. knowing that you can just be the latest one to bounce back and do something on the biggest stage. It is really exciting. And I think it's also comforting knowing that people have had like big operations like mine and then come back and it's been not necessarily seamless, but it appears that way because they come back the next year and they're okay. So I think it's, that's definitely comforting. And also, obviously, when you see the likes of people like that, you're like, wow, that's really cool. And it's definitely inspiring. So we talked about the people whose footsteps you might follow in. The final thing I'd like to chat to you about, if you've got time, Neve, is the other British youngsters coming through. And I spoke to three of them, um, two who I know you were hanging out with up in Glasgow and one that I believe you live with now. So Naomi, Gemma and Ellen, I asked them each to describe you in three words ahead of this interview. This will make you blush. They were very, very complimentary, but I got funny, talented, oh. best advice giver, Hilarious, friendly, determined, <laughs> radical, beautiful, and driven. Oh, that's so nice. So your peers hold you in very, very high regard. But what was really lovely was that they all seem to think of you as someone who's both incredibly motivated and driven, but also someone who knows how to have fun away from the track and the sandpit. What's, <laughs> it must be so much fun being a part of this really exciting generation of British talent that's coming through. It's the people that make the event, and I think even just being around other people like even so for example like even spending time in um Glasgow with with obviously like Amber and Naomi and it's just so good because they like you see their perspective and obviously they're all really um they're all really like motivated and amazing at their event and then they'll say things and you're like oh that's really interesting and you're like no I completely agree or oh I don't didn't see that but now I do and then obviously I train with Ellen which is really good because you, every single day it's just like it's so because I've trained with nobody just myself and just my coach David because I was the first person he coached and then I've also um trained with a group like Ellen in my group and training with Ellen is so different to training on my own because it's kind of just like you go for a social like sometimes we do shot sessions and honestly the shot sessions like probably an hour long and we're there for like two hours just because we're laughing too much and we've lost all our strength because you know when you laugh <laughs> and you just can't throw anymore and then our shot coach is just like oh my god girls you need to take a time out because and I think it's which makes it fun but also then when you're being serious and you need to race against people and also like we have 800 meter sessions and we're all really nervous and we're all like oh my god give me some advice and I think it's it's really good because we all bring each other and make the best of each other so even and then on trips when you spend time with other people it's i think the people really do make the sport definitely people talk about level playing fields in sport all the time and yep. women playing five set tennis matches and cross country races being over the same distances and gold size in football and another one that comes up quite frequently is the decathlon for women yeah how would you fare would you enjoy it would you like to see that change personally i 
wouldn't like to see the change on an equality basis i feel like i'm completely all for equality and i think they should offer the heptathlon for men and maybe put the decathlon there if they want to for women but i just think it would be such a shame to lose the heptathlon especially when there's so much history there and people generally love watching it and i think it's really interesting because they're obviously the idea there for trying to make athletics more feasible and more watchable for young people and i think if you was to get rid of heptathlon it would and change it to decathlon you'd have a few years where the where the decathlon would not be a good standard at all like it would and it's like well, if you used to watch that, it's just not impressive when it's a, it's a poor standard. I also think you would lose the standard of... Because you see in heptathlon, like, um, like Nafi should be able to participate in the javelin competition. Um, Kat would be able to participate in long jump, high jump and 200. Jess can participate in high jump hurdles. Um, you've got, like, the like a lot of uh, heptathletes can just do javelin. A lot can just do hurdles, 200. Whereas I think when it gets to just... Decath- when you move it to decathlon as a woman, you would lose the the, st- the stand the high standard, and I think because obviously women are naturally not as we're naturally not as fast as powerful or as strong as men, like it's actually our biological nature. I think putting it to decathlon would just you just lose the actual watching ability. If they would have moved it to decathlon after twenty twelve. And obviously you've got Jess as a figure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be doing decathlon. I would probably do four hurdles. And I think that kind of just sums it up, really, that you would lose a lot of people doing it and participants. It's really challenging as a multi eventer to get and to get the events in in the week. And I think personally, on an injury basis, like the heptathlon is so taxing to then put extra jumps in. Like my knees wouldn't be able to take it. I think it would be such a shame because obviously you've created role models like Jess and all this. Then we change the event. And it's like, well, I just think for a, for a country that's so strong in heptathlon, it would be such a shame to lose it, really. I think that's a very good point and very well put. Neve. I'm going to let you get on with your day, but I'm going to ask for, if it's all right, 30 more seconds of your time. Yeah. My favourite thing about you as an athlete, apart from the fact that you're just always so smiley, (laughs) is that you have this ability that we've discussed a couple of times today to produce when it most matters. And I think it would be really nice if everybody listening to this episode could go away with a little bit of that Neve Emerson grit and that clutch ability. So you're going to be coach just for a moment. Okay. It's my final attempt to clear... My high jump PB was 1.30 back when I was an under 13. So it's my final attempt to clear... 1.30 to get that personal best yep. to produce the result that I really, really, really need. And it's my last go. You're my coach. Give me a pep talk and help me get that PB. Off you go. Okay, so so I think you have to, even if you've had really bad training sessions before the competition, like even if you've had really, or you're not feeling confident, you're not feeling prepared, or you're in a bad mood or whatever, and you're on your competition start line, you just have to just honestly just put 100% into this one attempt it's like or one race it's like 30 seconds of your life or it's like um 10 seconds of your life or whatever just put 100% in it and then after that you can be you can be in a bad mood again or whatever because the thing is what we all like we're all humans and we all have all these doubts and I've gone into competitions having the worst high jump session the week before or having rubbish sessions and you go in and you just have to think right nothing matters now it's all about this one jump or this one run so you just run and put 100% effort in because you completely owe it to yourself because you've trained super hard and um and you've kind of put all this hard work and time and sacrifice 
And I think it's really rewarding just to know you've put 100% in, even if you don't get the outcome. Coach Emerson, that is absolutely brilliant. Thank you. I can do it. I've got it. I've got one first. <laughs> you do. <laughs> that was great. That's a really nice way of thinking about it. It's 10 seconds of your life, isn't it? Just yeah, no, it literally is. Like, it's only, it's tiny amount of time for all the amount of... Because the thing is, we train for, like, three, literally 365 days of a year for literally two days. And it's like, what? That's crazy. So you may as well just have your best two days and then just go back to being... Yeah. And even if it's more than 10 seconds, even if it's two disgusting minutes running around a track yeah. and throwing yourself to the ground afterwards you can't let all of that investment go to waste. All Definitely. the blood, sweat and tears, all the cliches. Defo. Well, there we go. That's how you do it. That's how you are now a, goodness knows how many times, international medalist. <laughs> Thank you for that insight. What a perfect way, I think, to end our chat today. Yeah, definitely. It's been absolutely fascinating. I've loved having a bit more of an insight into what it is that makes you tick. I really hope that the next three months of rehab or so, five months, you said, go really really smoothly and cannot wait to see you back in a gb vast thank you so much